Hi, everyone. My name is Ember Kelly, and welcome to the Fourth U Dimension podcast. I am the Director of Religious Education at Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York, and this podcast is a production of our religious education program. This podcast is specifically part of our Getting the Message series, uh, where we take the reflection from our Sunday service and we look at the content of the message and reflect on some of the deeper themes and meanings. Uh, this week, we are joined by Reverend Skylar Vogel, who delivered this week's message, which was our uh, annual Thanksgiving service message. Uh, and we are going to have that to play for you today uh, on our podcast. So go ahead and listen uh, for the audio following this. One of my favorite Thanksgiving Bible stories is the one about Jacob wrestling. You may have heard it. It originally comes from the Hebrew Bible and the book of Genesis. Now, Jacob is an early pivotal figure in biblical history. He's the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. He's also the father of Joseph of technicolor dreamcoat fame. When this story begins though, Jacob is all alone. His family was on the move and they had just crossed the river and it seems that Jacob was left alone behind on the other side. He isn't by himself for long, though. The Bible moves quickly onto the action. Quote, Jacob was left alone, it reads, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, we don't know how the wrestling started. We don't know if Jacob was minding his own business when a man came out of the woods and tackled him. We don't know if it was a friendly challenge by a stranger that Jacob, to pass the time, gladly accepted. We don't even know who this man really was. We do know that Jacob was a good wrestler because when the man realized he couldn't overpower Jacob, he took a cheap shot and dislocated Jacob's hip. But even that didn't stop Jacob and he held the man firm. The man demanded to be let go. It's almost daybreak, he said. But Jacob wouldn't do it unless the man would do one thing. It was a strange thing, an unexpected thing. Jacob demanded that the man bless him. Now, a blessing is not a common request after a wrestling match. I wrestled for four years in high school, and I can tell you no one ever asked it is a weird request. But Jacob insisted, perhaps because he realized sometime during the night, he realized something about his opponent. Although the original Hebrew identifies his opponent as a man, the later book of Hosea suggests that man is actually an angel. Later in the book of Genesis, Jacob himself suggests it was God who he wrestled. And it is up for debate whether the man was an angel or God. Traditionally, Jewish tradition favors the former and Christian tradition favors the latter. But what I love about this story is Jacob's audacity. By the time he demanded a blessing, he must have realized that he was either wrestling an angel or with God. And that is no small thing to recognize. And even knowing that, when whoever that is, demands to be let go, he refuses, and he still demands a blessing. Could you imagine literally holding on to an angel or God themselves in your grip and insisting 
on something, demanding something. To some, it might even seem deeply entitled, presumptuous. What right did Jacob have to demand anything from God? Aren't we supposed to be grateful for whatever we get? Certainly the writer of our reading, Robert Walsh, would have thought so. For him, life is a gift we have not earned and cannot pay. It is, to quote the title, more than we deserve. It's a very different attitude than manhandling God or their angel until they give us what we want. But there is wisdom in Jacob's demand. I've been thinking a lot about it this year, a year when it seems we are a little bit light on blessings. So many of us have lost people and are grieving, and so many of us are afraid of losing more. We have been sick ourselves, or we're sick right now, or we know people who are, or we're isolated and lonely, and the holidays just make it feel all the worse because we feel pressure that we shouldn't be. If there was ever a time to demand blessings from God or just from the universe, this might be it. I know, of course, that words like blessings aren't used by all Unitarian Universalists. For some, it's too spiritual sounding. For others, it conjures up images of paternalistic religion that separates the worthy people, the good people, from the unworthy, those who don't deserve things. Or maybe it just reminds us of insincere Instagram users who post things like hashtag blessed, subtly humble bragging their privilege online. But I believe there is value in the language of blessing, even so. For me, blessings or being blessed simply suggests that we have something to be thankful for. If our lives are blessed, it doesn't necessarily mean that someone up there has made it that way, although it can. It means we have reason to be grateful. Unitarian Universalists might not agree about what exactly a blessing is or where it comes from, but we can, I believe, agree that everyone deserves to have things to be grateful for. You deserve that right now, no matter what your life looks like. And everyone on this whole planet deserves that. I imagine Jacob believing this when he demanded a blessing. He knew that life was hard and short and full of pain, and yet had the courage to tell God or one of their angels that he wouldn't be satisfied unless he had something to give thanks for. And I think this is very you-you. We're stubborn, a lot of us. We're often opinionated, and we're unafraid to speak our minds. And we use those qualities to speak up for what we believe in. Beliefs like every person matters, and that all people have goodness within them, and that no one anywhere deserves to suffer. To demand blessing is to rise up and insist that all people deserve a life they can be grateful for. That kind of demand is a moral act. Now, nowhere has this moral necessity of demanding blessing been clearer to me than when I worked with teenagers. Back before I was a minister, I used to volunteer at a Unitarian Universalist Youth Leadership School. It was a, a week intensive, and it was intense. 
where young UUs gathered from all over the Midwest to learn about themselves and their faith. They were teens selected for their promise, for their good hearts, for being leaders. They were each and every year a great group. They bonded quickly and I would learn later that they would keep in touch for years afterwards. And one of these activities we did one year was something that was called a privilege walk. And some of you may have done them. The teens would, they lined up in a big row all together. We were on a college campus and so we were in the made quad and they had lots of room to move around. Then in that line, an adult staff would call out questions. Questions like, do your parents have college degrees? Or do you attend a private school? Or does someone in your family struggle with addiction? Depending on how you answered that question, these questions, whether you answered them yes or no, you move. If your answer indicates privileged, you would move forward. If not, you would move back. We as adults, I don't think, expected the reaction we got. The exercise was designed to bring awareness about how privilege works, how blessed some of us were. But we didn't anticipate how many of these teens would feel. Now, most of those teens being UUs and coming from privilege, they did a lot of stepping forward. Some walked forward with every single question. They got so far from the starting line, you could barely tell who they were. But not everyone, of course. Some walked backwards. A lot. With each step, they fell further and further away from the majority of their peers. I remember seeing them looking around all the way back from that starting line and seeing them see how few of them there were back there, taking stock of who was, who was there and who wasn't, noticing that most of the kids who were stepped back were teens of color. More questions deepened the divide. Do you get new gifts on Christmas or just hand-me-downs or things from goodwill? Do your parents work at night or work two jobs? Have your guidance counselors recommended college for you or not? I don't think I would lead such an activity again because afterwards those who'd been pushed back and back shared how it made them feel, how exposed they felt, how lonely it felt. One teen spoke of how in shock she was she hadn't realized how different she was from her friends, how much harder she's had it. Another fought back tears at feeling embarrassed and ashamed to have to show the world what they knew already, that they were poor, their parents were struggling compared to all their friends, and now everyone knew. Another teen wondered if she belonged there at that school or in her UU congregation anymore? Were these really her people? Did people, her friends, her minister, really understand her if she didn't have the privilege that so many other people did? The walk did help people with privilege understand their advantages. Many of them were appalled and ashamed 
by how many times they had walked forward. But it also singled out those who did not. It made clear the relationship between feeling blessed and feeling shame, between privilege and injustice, between young people who deserved the world and yet got very little. It exposed the gross and arbitrary unfairness that some of these teens have a lot more to be grateful for than others. When Jacob demanded the blessing, I envision him also watching that privileged walk and feeling angry and protective. I imagine him wrestling with God and having outrage fuel him and demanding that God do something about it. Demanding that that is unfair, that all those kids deserve blessing, Jacob would say. And God, you aren't going anywhere until you make it so. In Jacob's story, we see courage, not entitlement. We see a refusal to accept the unfair world as it is. In Jacob's action, we hear an echo of Frederick Douglass when he wrote, if there is no struggle, there is no progress, and power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. We can and should be like Jacob this Thanksgiving season, even with God, even with their angels. For ourselves, this means refusing to let this bad year define us. It means believing that we deserve love and friendship and happiness, even when we doubt ourselves, even when our lives feel out of control, we feel lonely, we still deserve blessing. Just as importantly, we should demand blessings for others. We might live in a world where unequal blessings, but only through you and I demanding it change, will it? So if you have the chance to wrestle with the powers that be, whether that's God or the business you work in or the politicians who represent you, don't let go and don't let up until they give whatever blessing they can, until those like the teens who deserve blessings get them. Keep doing it until no one has to keep stepping back, wondering if they matter, wondering about shame, wondering what they have to be thankful for. The good news that upon hearing Jacob's demand, God or their angel relented. They gave their blessing. They knew it was just, just as we can receive ours and demand it for others, if we have the audacity to insist. May it be so this Thanksgiving and all Thanksgivings. Amen. So once again, thank you, Reverend Schuyler, uh, for joining us, for delivering this message. Uh, I found it really uh, engaging and interesting. I have to say, it's probably one of the most interesting takes on the story of Jacob that I uh, have heard. Yeah, um, I actually got a tip about it. Uh, there was a, a Facebook conversation among ministers about what they were preaching on, and, uh, and someone had suggested that they were going to be reinterpreting uh, the story of Jacob's wrestling of the angel or God. Uh, and so I can't take credit for di discovering that myself, 
they were going to tie it in with some other stories of their own life um, and uh, uh, their work as a hospital chaplaincy, which would have been fascinating as well, but uh, I didn't have those stories to offer. So uh, it is, I mean, I think this, I think the Bible is so wonderful in a way, and as are all sacred texts, because you can, there's so many myriad ways of interpreting them and, and performing exegesis on them. And I think as you use, particularly, we have a great deal of freedom to do that because we're not tied to a, a certain theological interpretation. Um, but the idea that like someone's been reinterpreting those, you know, that story for literally thousands of years is it's uh, it's fun to be part of that tradition. Right. And, you know, while you may not have had stories of being a chaplain, I did enjoy having the, the wrestling stories thrown in there because while, while I've never wrestled, um, certainly, you know, as, as a youth, maybe catching uh, bits and pieces of the WWE, uh, I, I never saw them offering blessings at the end. Um, you know, <laughs> no, they would be less, even less likely than high school wrestling tournaments, you know, uh, probably. I uh, don't know which one's, which one's tougher there, high school wrestling or, or the WWE. Um, so one of the things uh, that, that uh, caught my eye, and uh, as we were joking in some of our casual conversation, that perhaps this this message could have been titled hashtag blessed, uh, just to make it relevant to our social media age. Uh, but you you mentioned like this this idea that a lot of people maybe associate this word blessed with with privilege, uh, because it has kind of become like this look at all these great things I have uh, sort of thing. Do you want to maybe elaborate on like some of your encounters with that? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I admit that like of those of those different ways that people, I think you use experience blessing in a negative way, where it strikes me most naturally and where I perhaps my most negative reaction comes out of this sense of, yeah, hashtag blessed sense of uh, humble bragging, a sense of displaying piety um, as if it uh, shows that you are, are good or displaying, displaying privilege as if that makes you blessed. Um, there's all sorts of interesting theological uh, traditions um, around around equating wealth and equating the ben your blessings as if they're a blessing from God um, versus just a, a happenstance of privilege. Um, but certainly uh, prosperity gospel theology, of which a lot, uh, a lot of big churches, in fact, the largest churches in America are, are in that tradition. Joel Osteen, for example, Paula White, who is Donald Trump's spiritual advisor, is a prosperity gospelist. Um, I mean, Donald Trump is essentially a Christian of that vein uh, himself. Um, there's a whole sermon there that uh, comparing prosperity gospel to Unitarian Universalism. But the, I think the fundamental uh, theological problem of prosperity gospel is basically equating a person's uh, favoring of, by God with their, their, their physical or financial well-being. Um, that is clearly a, a, a false relationship, um, and yet prosperity gospel equates the two, um, which is... I think not only just illogical, but also morally wrong. Right, when I, uh, somebody who grew up evangelical, uh, maybe not quite fully in that, that prosperity gospel movement, but I, that, that idea uh, I think pervades a lot, of, a lot of Christian theology, but really I think even, uh, um, even some more secular thinking and even more liberal religious thinking that, that you know, if you're doing the right things, like things will be better, better things will happen to you, You'll be more blessed if you're if you're doing the right thing. Maybe maybe the different traditions have have different views of what that right thing is. But yeah, there's definitely that that underlying thing. I think that uh, obviously I think one of the worst manifestations is definitely that that prosperity gospel. Uh, but 
that, that thinking, you know, I, I think as a kid who grew up evangelical, even though, you know, we were told this whole thing that, you know, we're saved not by our works, but, you know, we still thought like, oh, if we did the right things, like things will go better for us. Like we're not going to have as many issues. Uh, and it's, I, I suppose it's one of the ways to, to deal with like the problem of evil in the world. Like why are, why are bad things happening to me? It must be something I'm doing. Um, you know, it's, it's the easier way of getting out of that. Um, but I really enjoyed how you switched it around to be that, that Jacob was fighting for this blessing of justice instead. Uh, I, th I thought that that was really interesting to think about how uh, in our justice work, for Forth has a lot of passion for justice work, that, that we're doing that because we want everybody to, to have blessings in their lives, everybody to have abundance. Uh, I think oftentimes, you know, especially uh, in popular culture, popular, uh, especially right-wing <laughs> propaganda, um, think, you know, it's this, this message of, oh, well, you just want everybody to be equally poor but really we want everybody to, to have equal blessings that everybody can feel you know, truly thankful and abundant in their lives versus um, thinking that everybody needs to be equally poor or something like that. But that's, that's often the message uh, that's sent out. Um, so would you, would, would you wanna elaborate a little bit on like this idea of blessing as part of justice? Yeah, I think, I think Unitarian Universalists are ambitious theologically, uh, ambitious, in terms of justice, I think progressives generally are because you have to believe that that better things are possible. Um, I think you can look at abundance and you can look back in the past and actually say that we know it's possible because people used to have it. I, I saw a meme on Facebook this week about how you know there was a time not that long ago when a person could work nine to five, uh, one parent uh, could work nine to five and support a family of three and four and live a a good life uh, without feeling want. That almost feels uh, non-existent today. I mean, you can't, I feel like most parents have to work. The idea that you could work nine to five is like a pretty middle-class job. It, uh, there, so there was abundance and there is abundance still if we're able to demand it, right? If we're able to demand that that is a reality that we want and that it's, and to recognize that demanding it isn't us being ungrateful, that it isn't us being, you know, uh, bigger than our, our britches, right? Uh, that this is something that all people deserve, um, which is to live a life that gives them joy and happiness and makes them not worry about where their next bill are coming from. And that's all very achievable if we expect it. And, and if we think it is, uh, and if, if we do, and it is, there's enough money, this country is so wealthy, demanding it is how you get it, as Frederick Douglass talked about. Of course, there is a whole, a whole, uh, probably other podcast and other message about uh, how that wealth is often taken from uh, underdeveloped nations. But that is a whole other podcast, so we will uh, leave that for a time when we have a little bit more time to dive into that. Uh, but I mean, in the in the whole world, you know, like uh, the studies have shown that like there is enough food for us to feed everybody. Our system is just set up to not feed everybody. Right. Um, so, yeah, to to challenge these systems. Um, I know, so you mentioned the privilege walk, uh, and I, I did a similar exercise um, when I was a youth group leader. I, I did find it interesting, though, that uh, yours uh, had both some positive and negatives. I, th I feel like for mine, the, the kids seemed to, to mostly come away feeling pretty good about it, like that they understood each other a little bit better. But I did find that interesting that it, that it really, um, for your youth group, that it, that it was some kids felt really alienated by it. Like, 
you know, I think that that, that was interesting. Yeah. I would think we were all surprised by it too. I mean, it's a, it's a classic activity for youth and even for adults, right? To be able to demonstrate the sense of you all think you're, you know, you're not privileged or you all think that you're, you're, you know, similar, but actually there's this huge divide here. Um, and, uh, and I think it is a powerful thing. And I think it's, uh, I think it's very good for people of privilege to recognize that. I also think that in our circumstance, we hadn't taken into account the emotional impact of, of, of these youth feeling like they were so different um, and having themselves in some ways sort of un without giving consent, having their, their potential disadvantage and lack of privilege displayed to everybody who was there, which is problematic in its own sense, right? Like who, who kids don't, shouldn't have to feel pressured to reveal that one of their family members struggles with addiction, right? Um, uh, that's like a personal thing, um, but they were displayed, you know, these, these questions were being asked. Um, so yeah, I think it can vary. And I think it's just something to be sensitive to. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, so I want to say thanks, uh, both for just a, a great message to, to get to hear today and to reflect on in this Thanksgiving week. Uh, and, but also thank you for joining me for this podcast slash YouTube video. Um, it was good to have a chance to reflect on this together. Thank you, Ember. I appreciate it. It's been, and, been fun. And thank you to all of our listeners, both on podcast form, YouTube form, wherever you're stopping in to see this. It was great having you here.